Today in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we have your listener Q&A episode of the week in IndyCar coming off of the doubleheader in Iowa. Back-to-back 250-lap jams on the 0.875-mile oval in good old Newton, Iowa. Woo! Good Lord, we have a lot to talk about here on our show brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Before we get to your questions, as always, on this show that I lovingly refer to as my unpolished turd, keep all the mistakes, keep all the errors, keep it real. Uh, We've had a pretty awesome week or two in the Prude household We get update requests quite often from a lot of folks, including many of you. So thank you again for everyone who continues to ask and check in on my wife. Definitely hope to have a deeper update for you soon. Can tell you that we started our day today, Monday, very early. Actually, it was a very late night, followed by getting up very early, driving across the bay. Spent many, many hours right across the street from good old Stanford University. Had a whole bunch of tests done, and so far they're making my wife and I smile a lot. So there you go with that. Going to have some news coming out here about some changes in IMSA. Uh, Had some folks already asking with a story that I wrote about Acura and Team Penske set to part ways whether that could mean something for Penske on the IndyCar side, repurpose its crew from IMSA to maybe run an extra IndyCar or two. Can't speak for them. Can't speak for the future. Would tell you, though, that everything I have heard about Penske is them being in sports cars, maybe not immediately. Once the season is over and Acura moves on to at least two other teams in IMSA, Will that mean that Penske stays and has another brand that they pick up with immediately? Haven't heard that, but I do believe we're going to see them back very soon and possibly spending some time doing vehicle development away from the track, getting ready for IMSA's next prototype formula due in 2022. Hearing some rumblings that it might be 2023, might get pushed back a year. So anyways... A little bit of sports car stuff here to kick off, but there is an IndyCar angle. We do know for sure that if Accurate Team Penske is free of its IMSA obligations and has no one else lined up for 2021, well, since we know that the sports car team is what runs Elio Castro Neves' program at the Speedway each year and would in theory have done so for Scott McLaughlin if he'd been able to get into a fourth car at a couple points during this season. Again, in theory, that could free things up there for our man Scotty. That's one little note for you. Continued here questions about whether IndyCar might be rescheduling the 500 due to COVID. Also, as I noted last week in the open, only heard more and more about whether the IndyCar swing to my West Coast will be not a thing for 2020 at least. So a lot of keeping my ears to the good old ground. And there's some other stories too that I don't want to say they're big. They 
Yeah, there's one that's interesting, but by and large, none of the other ones that I'm working on that I can't quite talk about right now are earth-shattering in any way, shape, or form. (sighs) Beyond that, I think it's time. I think it's time. Let's get rolling with your questions. Got six pages of them, by the way. So, not a big surprise. After two races in a 24-hour span... Uh, going to do my best to get to as many as I can in the time that I have. Mrs. Pruitt, who is absolutely worn out right now as I start to record this. We're at 6.48 p.m. on a Monday evening. Uh, she's going to catch a nap for a little bit before I get dinner going. So going to try and sneak this one in here. Just mention that because if I don't get to all of your questions across all six pages... Don't hesitate to send them back in. That's always the standing offer. If I don't get to them, send them back in if you really want them answered. And uh, it might take one attempt, two attempts, maybe three. But uh, if you, the louder you bark, the more you threaten, the better the odds of me getting to your, uh, the questions that I don't get to the first time. They get thrown in. Uh, you know, would really, really just want to say thanks to everyone once more. Uh, the kindness that you all send in on a weekly basis is just phenomenal. I also get folks who complain and say all kinds of, you know, unflattering things, sometimes deserved, sometimes maybe not. Uh, then get some that are like, wow, if if I saw you in real life, the words you just said to me in private might get my blood up a little bit, but more and more I'd probably just want to give you a hug and ask if you're okay. And if venting and and really unleashing whatever torrent it was in this direction helped you in some way, seriously, it's all good. But yeah, uh, boy, I got some rough, rough times over the last couple months, and those things sure are manifesting in a lot of uh, behavioral ways. You know, we are going to kick this off with this little timestamp that I'm going to drop into the description, as I always do. If you just want the Q&A, well, boom. This is where we're getting started here with... Here we go. Often I start at the top of the list put together for me by the awesome Tim Falkowitz. Tim, I'm going to do something totally different. I'm going to start at the bottom. Uh, just because. I don't think I ever have. So we're going to start on page six. Grant Stouter. Hey, Grant says, MP, since we now see the WTF1 website on an Indy Pro 2000 car, when will we see the hashtag Polished Turd mobile rollout with its septic uh, spectacular glory? Um, well, it'd be the hashtag Unpolished Turd because, really, that's all the show is here, Grant. You know, I wish I could afford to sponsor a car as I hear. I don't know whether that was our cat Rocky or Rosie knocking over stuff and running away. They're part of the show, too. See why I call this unpolished turd? This is not, again, this is not polished and professional. This is just, uh, it's mayhem. It'd be fun, Grant. I'll tell you, if I made enough money to actually spend some dollars on sponsorship, not necessarily, all right, that's Rocky and Rosie chasing each other around. That's awesome. Um if I made enough money, Grant, where I could actually genuinely sponsor someone or something and it wasn't putting us in financial peril at home or robbing from our future, uh, I probably would, 
right? Uh, and I don't know if it'd so much be the podcast. It might just be some silly cartoons done by my pal Roger Warwick because, you know, uh, I like absurd and silly things. So, yeah, but imagine if I had an actual product to promote. Um, I mean, WTF1 is a real thing. It's not as if my podcast isn't real, but I don't know, man. It's just kind of a conversation. Uh, Tune in and listen to a guy talk directly to you or to a guest. I don't know. Um, That seems like something that would be a failure from a marketing and promotion standpoint. Uh, Let's see. Where should we go next? Northern Penguin 01. Hey, Marshall, with the announcement of the SRX series and them going to the best short tracks in the country, Someone dropped a bunch of money in your doorstep with the purpose of building a similar series for road racing at some of the best road courses in North America in, say, an Indy Lights-type car. What six tracks would you pick? Says hashtag me personally. Go with Road America, Most Sport, also known as Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, Laguna Seca, Watkins Glen, Sebring, and Road Atlanta. Oh, boy. And you want me to do better than those six? Yeah. Uh, The only one I would swap out would be... Actually, uh, I'd want to swap out two. I'd swap out Laguna. It's my home track, but meh. Uh, It hasn't produced a lot of great racing for a while. Uh, The track surface is just so worn that, yeah, traction's not a friend. Uh, So getting traction to make passes, not also a friend sebring i mean i know it's classic americana but uh i don't know how many people actually hear drivers i should say talk about oh my god i cannot wait to go back to sebring uh so i might swap those two out you're spot on with road america absolutely with most sport uh watkins glenn for sure and road atlanta i would probably swap out laguna i would uh, I would swap out Laguna for VIR, Virginia International Raceway. It is, oh, it's Road America with a lot more danger. And <laughs> if you didn't think Road America was dangerous enough, yeah, VIR is one of those. Ooh, if you're getting the most out of it, you're kind of crying and peeing a little bit every lap. So, that one for sure. Uh, what do we replace Sebring with, though? Uh, it's a it's a tiny joint, but if you can do a couple different configurations on it, I'm leaning towards Lime Rock. I'm thinking Lime Rock might be uh, a place that we need to go, but I'm also maybe wondering if. Mid Ohio, yeah, I think I'm gonna, uh, I think I'm gonna can the Lime Rock. I'm gonna go Mid Ohio. It's just, it's everything in a smaller package. Uh, the same kind of craziness that you get at VIR. It's just a downsized VIR. Plus, it's Ohio. Uh, you want to talk about hearty racing fans? You get some folks who love them. Some IndyCar, sports cars, Xfinity, you name it. So. Yeah, but uh, honestly, I could only think of two changes on your list. That's pretty awesome to begin with. Beer Cat. 
I don't know. Is is this your first time submitting Beer Cat? If not, I'm sorry. I think I would remember your name because it's the freaking best. But uh, let's see. Rumors about a Nashville street race sprang up in June and then vanished. Any news or scrapped because of the coronavirus? Best to you and your wife. Thank you, Beer Cat. Um, haven't heard anything more about it. Need to follow up on it. And just to, you know, for the sake of, of giving credit for where it first came from, I believe our man Robin Miller on Racer was the one who broke this, I think, more than a year ago. So kind of came up and went nowhere. Uh, a lot of hurdles and such. And then, yeah, seemed to pick back up, but I haven't heard a ton about it since. But, yeah, uh, people trying to keep their citizens safe and accounts not going into the negative in whatever city or county or otherwise, I would have to assume that that has taken precedence. Uh, some guy named Ryan Terpstra, who I've never heard of before, uh, says, I'm going to just go ahead and cancel the Portland and Laguna races in my mind so that it isn't a surprise when it actually happens. I think you're up to five printed schedules next to your desk. When those are removed, do you think there will be anything to replace it, or is the season passed, uh, or is it uh, the season just being done past the halfway point? Um, yeah, so the Laguna Seca thing, our friends at Laguna Seca, uh, separate from any initiative that IndyCar might have that's newish, which says, hey, we should just try and stay kind of close to the middle of the country where the crazy infected people in California uh, don't get us with that Corolla virus. Um, and if we're not going there, then I don't know if we're going to go all the way out just for Portland and back. That's a lot of travel. That's a lot of everything in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, before we even get to that point, we have to acknowledge that for the Laguna Seca IMSA, and IndyCar rounds to happen, since those would be the first major races held uh, by the track this year. I believe they're spectator-free, kind of, sort of, historics, kind of, sort of, uh, really invite, I shouldn't say invite only, more of like a club race that's not open to the public, which has replaced the big vintage race they put on their mid August. I would assume that they would need volunteers for that. Maybe not a ton. Could probably get through that. But the big issue they have is for them to put on a major motor race where fans would be allowed. Uh, any number of fans. You know, anything that would require parking those fans, tickets, selling them food and beer and just all the stuff. Uh, that's going to require a lot of volunteers. And since they do not currently have a deal with any volunteer base to support the circuit, and to my knowledge, do not have the money to go and pay hundreds and hundreds of people to do this, uh, that's the first thing that still needs to be addressed. So I'm going to make a note here to reach out to Laguna and see if there's been any progress on that topic because it is certainly one that would dictate 
any series ability to go there and hold a professional race, um, much less or before IndyCar or any other series might decide to uh, not go out and play with them. So that's the main item there. The Portland one, again, I mean, this is something where if you think about the promoter, Ryan, the uh, Green Savory folks, good folks, what we have with St. Petersburg being on now, off, now back on again, Toronto being off altogether, Mid-Ohio on, which is great. Haven't heard any about any changes there, but Portland potentially off. You know, Losing half the races they're meant to put on this year, uh, it would have to be a concern financially for sure if that ended up being the reality. So, yeah, I mean, I certainly don't want the race to be canceled. Uh, either one. I don't know if I'd be able to fly to Portland. I can tell you that, uh, well, I don't think I'm going to be flying to any destination this year, but I might be able to do Portland just because it's, you know, an hour, a little over an hour away by plane. Um, heck, we could even, in theory, my wife and I might be able to drive up. It's about a 12-hour drive, which is gorgeous. I've uh, done it many, many times. But just from a strictly super... Selfish standpoint, Laguna might be the only time I see Indy cars and IMSA cars up close and in person this season and get to see and talk to those race car drivers, engineers, team owners, crew members, mechanics, truck drivers, hospitality type spotters, and everyone else uh, in a six-foot socially distanced manner. Uh, it's a little crazy, just surreal for me, knowing how this has been the absolute foundation of my life. It's really crazy to think that since, what, the IndyCar race at Laguna in t- September of 2019, I have not stood in front of or spoken to a live racing person at all anywhere, except for one. That's a lie. Uh, not intentional. I just forgot my pal Taz Harvey, uh, who is a uh, amateur racer of 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 high regard, also a kind of pro am driver, um, touring car type stuff. Mostly, um, he owns the uh, car dealership where I bought our Mazda, and so whenever I bring it in for some servicing, uh, he and I always spend some time. So I got to see him. I don't know, six weeks ago or something. So, yeah, Taz, Harvey, the one and only racer I've actually seen face-to-face since September last year. It's kind of nuts. So, there you go, Ryan. Uh, Let's see more here. Uh, Similar vein, Mark Brown says, We are coming from Wisconsin to Laguna for the IndyCar weekend in September. As it's your home track, can you give us any Info as to allowing spectators, restricted areas, etc. due to the virus in California going the wrong way with dramatically more COVID cases. Best suggestion, Mark, is to drop me a direct message on the good old book face or I'm not hard to find. Uh, drop me a note and as things get closer, uh, I can certainly do my best to get you up to speed to what I know. Certainly, if I hear things from the track or IndyCar that says it's off 
or it's on, but you know, no spectators or whatever. That certainly is an information I would keep to myself. Uh, would probably throw that into a story somehow, but, uh, yeah, if you want whatever I can help you with my friend, don't hesitate to good old direct massage me. Uh, Kyle H B Donnelly says Marshall, as I sat in my newish Honda accelerating into the interstate, I've wondered if we will ever reach a point where CVT's constantly variable transmissions are a thing in motor racing. Concurrent CVT tech catch up to the forces from the drive shaft and inertia from the half shafts. Would mistrust in a gearbox control unit too high? Uh, I think there's a word missing in there. Be too high? Would the biggest obstacle just be the desire to see drivers shift traditional gears themselves? Um... The last thing that I can recall in road racing open wheel that had a CVT would have been, I think the William Williams F one tried it. And I, I'm doing my best. Remember the year Kyle might've been 1992, 93, something a long time ago, FW 14 B maybe, or FW 15. I just I seem to recall CVT being in there and then it being banned. So, and that was a obviously a super high tech thing dealing with a motor making what eight hundred horsepower, if not a little bit more. Uh, a lot of downforce, crazy tire and contact patch. So, you want to talk about forces, both going out to the little black spinny things, but also being sent back into the gearbox from everything that it was enduring uh would just say that if we get to a point where in the automotive world cvts are just common and the thing uh, of course there could be a thing where it would become a call for manufacturers to say hey let's try and do something here to help that reflect what we do in the street but you know that being said I believe automatics are by far the most commonly sold things in new cars, and we certainly don't have those. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I could see this being a thing anytime soon, Kyle. It's an interesting question. <coughs> Would also say that your closing note about, you know, could it be practical if IndyCar made it affordable? I don't know if IndyCar could make it affordable. Um, I also think this is something where there's probably a lot of, uh, a lot of teams are just happy with the gearbox being something that is mostly a plug and play and forget about it type thing. Uh, I'm going to grab two more here from the bottom and then jump to the top. Cause I think there's, uh, there's some good Iowa based stuff there, but I don't know. I like doing this a little bit different. We're going a little bit random to begin and, uh, Hey, that's my life. Uh, Chris Trot says, Marshall, I've been trying to remember to ask you about this and keep forgetting. Well, you succeeded this time, Chris. Well, most of her time in and around IndyCar uh, were before your real active time in the pits. Do you have any memories or stories you can share about Kathy Rude? I do not, sadly. Uh, your mention of one of the PPG pace car drivers last week reminded me that I'd been wanting to ask. It says, alternatively and additionally, any good stories about the rest of of the PPG pace team 
The initiative was one I wasn't aware of until I worked for Kathy's family airline in 2004. How cool. And got to know her and some of her story, although she was usually too humble to talk much about her racing career. So, Chris, this is an interesting, it is an interesting topic. For those who aren't aware, I don't recall if it was 84, 5, 6, somewhere in there. PPG, the Pittsburgh Paints group, Paint Group, the same folks who make the laminate screen for the aero screen, but who are mostly known for their paints, automotive paints is what they would, what they promoted in their long affiliation with the Kart IndyCar series, to air quote spice things up. This would never fly today. Uh, PPG had a traveling all-female pace car team. And so while I don't recall the full who did it side, through PPG, a lot of modern, new model-type cars, maybe even one or two kind of concept futuristic-type things, uh, The Wraith was one of them, one of the best, worst movies ever involving a car, um, they would pimp my ride, <laughs> these vehicles and do things and, you know, do bodywork changes and add lights, blinky lights and different tires and colorful wheels. And they'd turbocharge something that wasn't. And, uh, they, there was a truck or two in there and you name it. Um, they would have this fleet of, souped up hopped up uh alternative type road cars that compared to the stock vehicle looked pretty cool and or different enough to catch people's eye and hired i don't remember the exact number 10 to 12 female racers to drive them and I'll keep this one a little bit short because it certainly deserves a longer thing, probably a podcast in a feature as well. Uh, the woman that I mentioned last week, Margie Smith Haas, uh, kick ass, right? This is a woman who raced at Le Mans. This is a woman who raced and, you know, did super well here in select races in the old IMSA series. I uh, was a champion, as I mentioned, the first woman to win a professional road racing championship in North America happened to be one of the, you know, her mechanics, um, that year, uh, this is, you know, this is a real badass woman, Kathy rude, the same, and many other women as well. Not all necessarily front running talents. Just keep in mind if we're talking the, 1980s and through whatever this was mid to late 2000 uh, 90s whenever it rent whenever it concluded uh there weren't many women racing doing this thing so therefore the the pool of talent it's not like there were 200 and they chose the top 10 or 12 it was i hope we can get to 10 or 12 and so none of this is being disrespectful to some of the women who were less accomplished, but it sadly spoke to the times then and maybe a tiny bit less so now, Chris. 
But this was a very positive thing in one regard. It employed female race car drivers and in some cases enhanced their profile which therefore offered some benefit in their ability to find some money or find racing rides something i'd be lying if i said that all the women who were a part of the program found prosperity and their careers took off no wasn't the case the sad part is this was a promotional thing. And so again, I know that paychecks were earned and some profiles were raised. Awesome. That's great. Try telling a Joseph Newgarden, Alexander Rossi, Simon Pagano, Hey, going to hire you for the year. You're going to go to every IndyCar race and you're going to drive slightly modified street cars and you're going to sign autographs and you're going to be all prettied up and gussied up. The women all were, you know, hair fully done, makeup done. You know, the time this era was definitely a little Barbie dollish dolling up the women thing. Cringy then cringy now. Uh, so, Hey Simon, you know, we're going to need you to be all Mr. GQ and oil and slick chest hair and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you probably have a lot of these competitive male drivers going, what, uh, think about it though. If there were only 10 to 12 men, uh, that you could find that were pro-ish racers and they really didn't have much going on elsewhere, or they maybe had some things, but they weren't like big things, you know, this might be something they would consider and do just hoping it would somehow lead to some other opportunity to go do real racing. So that was always the, the trade-off Chris, uh, Hey, this is awesome in one regard, maybe, but you know, these women weren't didn't get into racing to not race and to stand around dolled up um posing for photos with you know men who are drooling and probably not necessarily thinking of them as equals or athletes so i know that my friend margie just tried to use it to network and she did and it had some benefits for sure and she put up with no nonsense from anybody and the cool thing that she would do as well and all the other women is they would do pace car rides uh between the sessions so this is i might have failed to state the basic premise here so between sessions you would often have the ppg pace cars go out and lap the circuit for five minutes or 10 or 15 whatever it might be Uh, between session entertainment You'd also have maybe the day before the event or at the lunch break or whatever, they'd go out and do uh, laps. And you'd you know get invited and go do a lap with whomever. And I remember Margie was like, hey, jump in. I think she had a Camaro or something with 600 horsepower at uh, Laguna one year. And it was just awesome, you know, just awesome being able to climb into the passenger seat and uh, watch Margie just be herself. 
you know, if all they're trying to do is enter- entertain, like give folks who's never gone fast in a racetrack a feel, Chris. And uh, having done a little bit of racing myself, like, you know, that wasn't like a, oh my goodness, but it was just more a case of like, how cool just to sit in the passenger seat and watch Margie in her natural element. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know how history is going to judge this one, uh, but I would definitely love to speak with more of the women like Kathy uh, who were involved, obviously. Um, more the the women who made the program what it was to get their thoughts. Uh, one more here before we jump to the top. Mike Stoops, Marshall IndyCar as a product is very good to great. Says, I know the split was bad for the sport, but it ended in 2008. Why do you think more people aren't attracted to the sport? Well, that is genuinely a great question. So we had this thing where the car IndyCar series was very popular and it was getting good ratings and it had a lot of fans coming out and then the split happened and advertisers started to lose interest fans kept coming out for cart which was great irl really wasn't great in terms of fans and sponsors and a a lot of stuff and then ultimately we had sponsors say, hey, cart teams, you're awesome. We love you, but boy, we really need the Indy 500. And if we don't, then we can't. And so very quickly, the majority of the biggest cart teams moved over. And that was great, except we still had a competing series. And in this case, with NASCAR's rise, IndyCar's split personality, We just got to a place where, as NASCAR continued to rise, Mike, I mean, we just lost a lot of momentum and a lot of interest with IndyCar racing. So I totally agree that it's a great thing. Robin Miller and I say on a fairly regular basis, we think there's probably 5,000, but no more than 10,000 truly hardcore IndyCar fans left in this country. And by hardcore, I mean the folks who wake up every day looking for news, heading to whatever Facebook group or whatever forum, uh, just redditing their days away, Twittering, Instagramming, whatevering, TikToking their best IndyCar lives. And so that's not to say, obviously, that there aren't more than five or 10,000 fans. Obviously, we know that there's a whole bunch. But in terms of those who live that daily hardcore IndyCar is my thing life, it's just not there, Mike. And so to answer your question, great product today, why isn't there more? Yeah, The thing IndyCar has been trying to do for a little while now, and I know they have succeeded in this department some degree, that's capturing what they call lapsed fans, right? Maybe those who checked out during the split, maybe when there was reconciliation, they're like, all right, Champ Car and the IRL are back together, eh, whatever, or just said, hey, this NASCAR thing's cooler, 
And uh, I know that there's been an initiative and success in getting back some of the lapsed fans. But really, the biggest thing they have been pushing towards, which is really brutally hard, and that is making new fans, younger fans. So if you live in the world today (laughs) and you're trying to capture people's attention with your sport, and you assume that these are folks who don't know a lot about sports, maybe somewhat new to the world, right? At some point, we were all there, like, you know, liked whatever different things. When I was a kid, I think comic books was my thing. And while I grew up in a racing household, I didn't know about name the WRC. I didn't know about name the thing, uh, the about Pike's Peak. You know, these things were not easily readily available or or easily digestible. But I figured out baseball and basketball and football pretty quickly because I played all those things every day at school. And then following the professional leagues was pretty awesome, pretty easy. Uh, We just have to accept, Mike, that while you and I and the five to 10,000 of us who wake up every day live in our best IndyCar lives, are all in, uh, this is truly a high person sitting at the cafe reading a book about whatever. Can I have a moment of your time to tell you about the delightful NTT IndyCar series? Well, what is that? Random stranger talking to me all of a sudden. Well, as a matter of fact, it's a form of the sport. The sporting world's been around for more than 100 years. Blah, blah, blah. We're just at that place, Mike, where, yeah, big and popular once, gotten back some of the fans who turned away and didn't care, but the amount of folks who regularly tune in and watch on cable, which I think is a more accurate reflection of the folks that have an interest in IndyCar, you know, it's a couple hundred thousand people, three, four, five six maybe you know if things are awesome on nbcsn but you know last weekend's numbers on cable for iowa uh from the email that i got earlier today from in uh, nbcsn let me see your nbc sports universal let me see friday's iowa coverage had a total audience delivery of three hundred and thirty-nine thousand viewers uh, it was NBCSN's second Friday night IndyCar race ever. The total audience delivery, that so that means both television and digital, I believe. I don't know if they include like social media replays of things. Yeah, hey, we clipped off this pass or this crash and, you know, it got X thousands uh, of views. I don't know if that's thrown in there, but the TAD number uh, is the live streaming plus uh, traditional television number combined. So Friday night's Iowa race, which was stupendous, 339,000 people watched it. It's a, I mean, it's a big number for a guy like me. He grew up in a town of 32,000, but, uh, you know, that's still not a big number. Um, what the city of San Jose which is about 20 minutes south of me, has a population, I believe, right on 1 million. So one-third of San Jose, California, watched 
the equivalent of that watched the Iowa race on Friday night, which was, again, it was a bonkers race. Uh, So that's not trying to complain or criticize Mike. That's just saying we need new fans. What is going to make IndyCar last forever and sponsors spend more and more manufacturers come in and all the things that we hope for? I hate to say it, but if you love this thing as much as I do, look for opportunities to talk to people and make new fans. Because while IndyCar has been trying to do it, uh, there's more of us than there are them. So uh, I don't want to say send them your invoice if for all the friends you convert, but maybe that's actually a program. And I was just going to say that kind of out the side of my head, but maybe that's an actual thing program to consider you know you you make a new indycar fan program uh and you get some sort of something i don't know what it is is it a ticket to something is it a signed hero card i don't know but as i mentioned from time to time with whatever charitable thing that i am trying to do the whole power of it has nothing to do with the guy doing it, it's in the engaging as many people as possible to participate. And hey, if you all the people who buy this thing, the all the money or some of the money is going to go to a charitable contra, charitable thing. Well, it's a lot better than just making one donation myself. It's trying to get as many as you can to affect significant change. I'm not would never want to tell IndyCar how to do whatever they do, but I would just say that I got to believe that for those five to 10,000 true IndyCar lifestyle evangelists, and, you know, we get a lot of those folks listen to this show every week. Uh, I'm sure some of you would love to say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to bring my next door neighbor. Uh, I'm going to bring her and her daughter to the next race with, you know, my son and I, or whatever it is, I'm going to bring my uncle who, whatever, uh, I mean, for the price of a ticket, you know, that's nothing. Uh, trust me. If, if for the price of a ticket, uh, a free ticket or two, there's the potential to make a lifelong fan. I mean, come on. That, uh, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know if it makes a lot of sense to IndyCar. For all I know, they're already doing it. I just don't know about it. But the uh, make a new fan program, uh, maybe that's something to consider. All right, we're going to jump up top, and I'm going to take a sip of my uh, coffee here. Uh, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? We're going to kick off here at the top. Ian Keyworth, great drive by Simon Pagano in Iowa Race 1. Whenever he drives a Menards livery car, seems to end up scoring wins. Any stats on driver-slash-winning livery combinations? Uh, I'm sure someone does, Ian. Uh, if you think I'm the guy that keeps that, you are. I love you. That's hilarious. Um, great point about Simon. I mean, he did win Race 1, didn't win Race 2. So, uh, I don't, yeah. He didn't win there, but he certainly had another good race. Let's go to this guy once again. I've never heard of before. Ryan Terpstra. 
I know you suggested 16 races at Iowa and one at Indianapolis for the 500. It says, while I would watch all 16 happily, can we all agree that the doubleheader needs to stick around? Also, I really like their qualifying format. Oh, yes. Um, <clears throat> for sure. The, <laughs> the only thing I think many of us would agree to here as well is that Iowa doubleheader needs to return next year and for every year after, and it does not need to follow a race weekend, much less a doubleheader race weekend. So, yeah. How about we head to Iowa, but actually have the weekend off beforehand so folks aren't just totally gassed uh, halfway through the second race? Um, Sean Lee, you sent one in here about yellow flags. My only note, and this is super meant to be a super polite note, um, if you send in like a question... It really helps to let me know what you're talking about specifically. Uh, if it's a specific race, if it is, you know, I assume that we're talking about Iowa here. Um, your note of yellow flags have really caught some people out and helped others so far this season. I get that that's part of racing, but hashtag me personally. I think 26 laps might be a bit much. Why no red flag? So... Again, I assume you're talking about Iowa maybe and the big crash uh, between Colton Herta and such. Or, again, I'm not 100% sure here. I know that going back and looking at the lap charts from both races, I don't believe I found 26 consecutive laps of yellow. So I'm not again totally sure what you're talking about brother um but maybe uh let's see maybe yeah maybe it was it must have been again i'd have to assume um it was the colton and vk crash uh and then let's see looking here yeah looks like we're 25 ish laps or so um how's this if we're talking about a big track where the pace laps last a long time, then yeah, there probably would have been a reason. Um, a place like Iowa, where those laps go by fairly quickly, uh, I don't know if I see as much of an issue uh, to then throw a red, especially if there were no injuries warranting a red or uh, no way to have the cars continue on the circuit. Obviously, you could send cars down pit lane the whole time if there's a massive debris field or, you know, if there's some sort of heavy EMT-type action going on where you don't want or need cars funneling through the crash site while they're trying to do some, you know, uh, life-saving type stuff. Other thing, too, I would say, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that this was a motivation, but I know that this certainly wasn't something that I uh, heard any complaints about, you know, this coming with what, roughly 100 laps to go in the first race, knowing that, again, folks are already pretty, t you know, a little bit war warned, warned out. Yeah, we'll go with that. Warned out. <sighs> Although things warm up a little bit in the cockpit under yellow, for sure. I think the fact that folks got a little bit of a break uh, kept everyone fresher to close the race, so... 
yeah, if this was another circuit and if it was more serious, red would probably be the thing. If this was more serious here, probably something they would consider as well. Recall those 26 laps really feeling like they took a super long time, and that's probably because we're on a track that's less than one mile long. Um, but, uh, let's go. Paul Trahan, Robbie Berggren, Daniel Summers, Gill. couple questions here on a similar theme. Paul says, MP, is it just me, or does it seem like Penske is losing some of that perfection it strives for? From pit errors to qualifying mid-pack to dead last, isn't helping their drivers out. True. Uh, they did just win both races last weekend. Um, we did have one of them win from pole. We had one of them win from the back of the pack last, uh, that fuel pressure error. I honestly, I didn't bother trying to dig into it, but that's usually not a team thing. Um, if we go back a little bit to road America, obviously Joseph on pole, um, you know, some guys had good weekends. Some guys didn't. There, Simon was kind of nowhere. Will had a second and then hit everything on Sunday. Joseph was there, thereabouts. The pit stuff you mentioned, that's certainly something for us to to stick with here for a minute. Robbie Berger and you as well uh, on that specific topic. Says, do you think the higher number of slow pit stops and large number of pit stop errors are more fatigue-related or late start of the year-related or having to work split shifts related well robbie you nailed absolutely nailed the answers here uh this is something that i've reached out some crew chief uh type friends in the paddock and said hey what do you think you know give me some reasons because the right rear tires for example right rear tires have just been the bane of everyone's existence and we're talking from penske to the smallest team um there haven't been many teams that I can think of that have gotten away more or less clean uh, with pit stops all year long. And yeah, the answers, there are a couple of main things here to keep in mind. Uh, obviously, IndyCar teams are spread across what I think five or six states. So it's not as if everybody is under the same exact return to work type policy. But since Indianapolis uh, houses most teams, I know that there. There has absolutely been shifts, uh, folks working in shifts. And you might think, well, okay, so if they're working shifts, let's just pick a team and one car. Um, You might think, well, but wouldn't all the mechanics then in a shift come in and work on that car? Uh, Sure, no doubt. Keep in mind that more than just the mechanics, though, are involved with pit stops. Uh, Could be the person that opens and holds down the dead man valve to uh, let fuel flow. Could be the person who pulls the right rear tire over the wall or feeds a tire to a changer. It could be the air jack person. You know, the truck driver could be doing something. One of the race engineers could be doing something. I mean, who knows? You know, that's why in terms of being able to do pit stop practice, with the full pit crew, all members that play a role in drilling as that unit, that has not been possible for the vast majority of teams. 
And so again, I know you might say, well, couldn't someone just kind of fill in for whomever that feeds the tire, takes the tire away? Of course, but you know, uh, that's a variable. And if it's someone filling in, well, maybe they feed it differently or are off on the timing and you know, it, all this stuff is a, is a dance. There are, there's an absolute timing and rhythm to it all. So keen answer here though, Robbie, and also for you, Paul on the Penske side, cause they've had a bunch of errors as well. Most teams really have not had a chance to do pit stop practice away from the track. And admittedly in these fast race weekends, I remember back in the day we, uh, at whatever indie racing league team I was on, or if it was cart or whatever, uh, there were times where we would just say, Hey, we're done. And we're going to go out to pit lane and do some pits, uh, do some pit stop practice. And it might be end of the day, or it might be when there's a, a break in things. We just know we can get onto the lane, be uninterrupted and get in two or three or five or 10 or whatever. We do it at tests as well, especially leading into the season. Um, <laughs> especially when I was more on the engineering side, uh, I was, and also being, you know, guy with a little bit of bulk to him, um, would be one of the pushers and, you know, would wear my monkey ass out having to go back to pit stalls and usually with a truck driver push like mad and get a little bit of momentum going with the car. So, uh, pit crew could do their thing. So no testing, uh, other than the open test in February, but since mid March, there's been no testing allowed. Crews have not been in the shop with the full over the wall slash helper slash all the roles type assembly to do things by and large. And it really does then just leave them to try and get in whatever they can while at the track, while on fast, compressed schedules, while at most tracks we've been to so far, hot as hell, and while wearing masks. Uh, So the fatigue thing is for real. Not every single person, of course, but... You know, the tales that I have heard have said that, yeah, more often than not, you got a lot of tired puppies and puppies that haven't had a chance to get into that rhythm, uh, preseason, mid season at any point in time. So that's why, frankly, pit lane's been a mess. Um, and then let's close here. Daniel says, is it common practice for the tire changers to make wing adjustments while simultaneously doing tire changes? Says during the Iowa one race, the left front tire changer on Will Power's car seemed to not even look at the wheel gun when doing the front wing change. The wheel then fell off. That was a first for me, Daniel. Not saying no one has ever done it. Not saying it isn't a standard practice somewhere. I just haven't seen it before. I would, well, granted, if I was smart, I would have paid attention to Will's pit stops in the second race. But, yeah, yeah I don't think we're going to see that one really being allowed too much more. Um, yeah. The thing that you might consider 
is if you are doing a timed stop, if you're doing what they what we refer to as a short fill. You know, if it takes whatever the fuel load might be when you're coming in, let's say eight seconds to fill the tank. Well, if it's going to be, say, a shorter fill, we're going to do six seconds of fuel, try and gain some track position. We're we're confident another yellow is going to come, and that's going to be the thing that kind of saves us. We'll get in, fill up the tank all the way under yellow, but we gain that track position with the short fill and yada, yada, yada. Well, then all of a sudden, the folks changing the tires are going to be challenged to get their work done before the refueler is finished. So in that scenario, where you also need to do a front wing angle change, could I see trying to do some sort of wheel off, wheel on, gun on, squeeze gun while twisting the front wing adjuster? Maybe, but again, uh, I would say there's a reason you don't see most teams doing that because yeah, uh, multitasking is a thing, but that multitasking usually means shifting from multiple responsibilities, kind of do a little bit of one, do a little bit of the other, do some of the other. It usually doesn't mean I'm truly doing two things at the same time and giving both 100% of my attention to execute flawlessly. So, yeah, I would say we might not see a lot of those anymore. Uh, We're going to go to Lance Snyder, just a deplorable human being. Uh, Kidding aside. MP Hinch in the booth and Pit Road. Gotta say, he was pretty darn good. Hashtag me personally. I'm having a hard time thinking of a weakness in his commentating game. But what about hashtag you personally? Oh, oh, there's some huge weaknesses in his commentating game. Uh, First of all, uh, unlike his compatriot Paul Tracy, he doesn't say a lot of things that are just flat out wrong or false. So, I mean, that's a huge failure. I mean, one of the reasons you tune in is because you love the fact that Paul's just going to say whatever comes to his mind. Whether those things are rooted in reality or truth, it's not, it doesn't really matter. Uh, so Hinch is failing there. Uh, I, I texted him and said, like, dude, seriously, uh, I feel bad for you. Like, all you do is say things that are factual and accurate and timely and educational. And, you know, uh, enough. Um, doesn't have a raging ego, right? Uh, I mean, that's another thing. So another failure there. I'd say probably the biggest thing, the the number one thing that has just been that's made James Hinchcliffe absolutely unwatchable. No cursing. I mean, if you only knew how I have learned curse words, I'm, I'm many years older than Hinch. I like to think I have a pretty deep catalog of curse words. Every time I speak with him, it, it is just a torrent. It is nonstop verbal diarrhea torpedoes hashtag nonstop verbal diarrhea torpedoes from hinch the fact that we don't get to see hear, feel just right 
that those get launched during the NBCSM broadcasts, NBC sports shows. It's another sincere failure, the biggest disappointment. So knowing just how disgusting of a vocabulary that he has, that he unleashes on people, um, I feel bad that the true hinge does not come out at all. So, yeah, it makes me sad. It really does. He just has to act. He has to pretend, Lance. It's it's kind of life for a man. Is that someone needs to uh, pull the pull the plug here before something bad happens? Let's go to Duncan Idaho eleven. That was all sarcasm, by the way, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, Hinch referred to Mario Kart in the broadcast. Silly question. Can the next chassis include light and sound effects for star power and mushroom boosts? Well, I mean, thanks, Duncan. Uh, you knew that I was going to be breaking that story here. Hashtag breaking exclusive scoop. Uh, but you just want to give it away in the podcast, huh, buddy? All right, whatever. Let's see how it is. Uh, serious question. Our next generation commentators, something NBC should leverage to reach younger fans. That's a great question. And I have a less great answer. I have no idea. Um, is there some sort of broadcast marketing research that says if a person who is 20 years old is commentating that people in or around the age of 20 flock to the TV to watch, whereas, again, if we're talking Hinch, who's what, early 30s, uh, Townsend, who's 44, I think he said, PT, who's later in his 40s or something like that, um, if a 20-year-old person sees them, do they say, ah, I would never submit myself to old fartery. And again, I don't know. That's pure ignorance on my part, Duncan. Um, I'd love to actually know if this is a thing. And if it's the case, then yes, uh, we need, we need this. What I am curious about, if that is true, is are there filters that could be used to youthify uh, some of the folks on the broadcast? Because if that was the case, now that would be fun. Uh, someone using Snapchat filters for the whole race. Oh, I would want to see that broadcast. Let's go to our pal, Shauna Oakwood. Hello there, Miss Oakwood. This is Marshall. What feedback is going around about the new cooling apparatus for the AeroScreen? Making progress or still no bueno, she says. Of the feedback that I've received from the drivers who, have, who I have asked, both Friday night and Saturday night. I tried to do a bit of a cross-section. Uh, younger, medium, or a little bit older. Didn't hear a lot of big, barky complaints. Seemed like those after the race Saturday were less happy. I wonder if part of that is due to the fact that we did not have an extended yellow and also the fact that folks were pretty dog tired so one's physical and mental ability to deal with unpleasant heat uh probably compromised a little bit shauna did read in robin miller's article about connor daly our guest uh, coming up here on wednesday something about him passing out after the race 
uh, maybe heat related. So that would be a concern. I am aware without knowing fine details of whether it's just individual teams doing their own thing or trying to come together as one with IndyCar. But I am aware, Shauna, that uh, IndyCar has given its teams permission to experiment. And I think in the three weeks, two, three weeks between Iowa and mid-Ohio, we're going to see some significant gains made there. Whether they're all allowed during opening practice at mid-Ohio or whatever, I don't know. But I've heard things about seat cooling technology and you know a number of things to try and improve the situation uh, being looked into by the teams and also some vendors who have reached out to IndyCar. So I think this is going to be a bit of a stay tuned item. Uh, let's talk here in about a week, week and a half, and see what might be coming from mid-Ohio to add to things. Um, know for a fact that on a oval or a track like Indianapolis road course that has some very long straights, very high speed straights, uh, also road America too, which qualifies in that regard. You get a lot of forced air Ram air effect, uh, high speedish track. Obviously there's always going to be a couple of slowish speed ones on a road course or street course, but, uh, the higher speed tracks, you're going to have a lot of just air being constantly forced into the helmet, into this overhead scoop, into whatever, and that's a good thing. Get to a place like Mid-Ohio, which it's not exactly a slow speed track, but you know there are, what, half of the track seemingly is second, third gear turn, slowing down, you name it. That's a scenario where... Potentially, we might be seeing a little bit of a rise in overall temperatures because we're not constantly forcing high-speed air into all the cooling ducts. So this is just something where I think there's there's going to be an interest here for sure, Shauna, to see what IndyCar allows teams to do. Does IndyCar have more stuff it wants to try? Uh, who knows? Some of you might have seen Simon Pagano, maybe one or two other drivers, wearing a cool vest. Now, for those who are old enough, you might remember cool suits. And this is a actual liquid and pump device that would circulate uh, cold fluid through an uh, extra layer of, of suit that you would put on beneath your fire suit. Uh, there would be cool caps in some instances. And it's just trying to put ice cold, super ice cold liquid circulating through a pump in and out of the suit, in and out of the cap to just keep your core temperature and keep your melon cool. Well, you also might have never really seen those things in an open wheel car because there's no real place to put a big old container, um, a big old cooler, you know, almost one. It doesn't have to be giant, but, you know, one you might take to the beach. That's basically what they're made from throw in some dry ice or something similar to that uh, and some water uh, or you know other liquids are tried as well uh, antifreeze type stuff and just really try and keep the driver cool but the space to do that and the hoses and the pump and the wiring and all that stuff really meant for sports cars or stock cars something where you have a passenger seat or some place where you can put it 
we don't have those in open wheel, so therefore we don't see them. So what you get uh, with, I know that Simon uses, and he's used for a while, and some others do as well, are these rather thin vests, little Velcro joints, and they have, I don't know if it's water or some other kind of gel, uh, but these are little packets that get put into the pockets that you freeze. And I don't know what they weigh, but obviously the teams can't adjust for that by taking ballast off the car. Uh, but these are all frozen, put on before the start of the session, the start of the race, and clearly at some point, probably sooner than you would want, they melt and become just whatever temperature of your body happens to be. But that's also something that gets used as well, Shauna. But it'll be interesting to see where this evolves to. Kevin Perez Federico. Hey, Kev. So Zendikar thought of adding an electric fan on one of the uh, back cutout Areas of the aero screen in combination with a new air scoop should finally solve the stagnant hot air problem as a fan can extract the heat and pull in cooler air through the cockpit. Well, that's actually what this new scoop is meant to do. Uh, I know during the broadcast, I think PT was mentioning that there were four holes in it and those four holes were meant to cool the driver. That's not the reason for it. This overhead scoop is meant to create a charge of air coming in that would accelerate the stagnant that would grab the stagnant air and start to move it out the back of the cockpit so i don't know if it worked to perfection but the idea behind it was not to just put more cooling air on the driver just keep in mind if you think about where it was located uh like hitting the front of the driver's helmet which is sealed off isn't really going to do or you know mostly sealed off it's not going to do much um, certainly would have been powerful to create jets that hit the driver's chest or otherwise. Uh, it really was designed to try and move air along the inside of the aero screen, kind of a curtain, as Jay Fry described it, and out the back. Create that move, movement curtain. Oh, Lord, I'm not drunk, but I should be. And start accelerating some stagnant things. So, um yeah, uh, something, whatever it is, it's going to help do this, move this stuff along. Kev, I think that's just always going to get a big thumbs up. Adam, I think I mentioned last week as well. I don't know. Maybe it might have been the week before. Is IndyCar, I'd be surprised if folks weren't looking into what kind of thermal barrier can they create between the radiators and the side pods that sit right next to the driver. I mean, the, uh, if you if you could see through the driver safety cell, the the monocoque, if you could see through the walls on both sides of the driver, you'd see this two hundred plus degree temperature radiator cooling the engine's oil and water. So that thing sitting a meet like within a couple inches of the driver's arms, elbows, core, and such. Anything that can be done to create a, a barrier, uh, a better barrier to keep that heat from radiating inward, I think that might be another big area for them to explore. Uh, Thomas Ayrton, I think you have a DM into me, Thomas, along with some of you as well. I'm sorry. Uh, I still have to get to a bunch of messages, and I, I genuinely apologize. I suck at trying to get to non-work, non-family things in a timely manner. Um, 
So I apologize, Thomas. It says, can we put to rest the argument about the aero screen now? It's here to stay. Thank you to IndyCar. Yeah, I would hope. Um, the hoot ugly. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't know if you sent that tweet or whatever in 2018, but thanks. Uh, no one's ever heard that before. I should just throw it away and get the halo again. Thank you. 2018 was really awesome. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I would also say the racing's dangerous. If you're, if you don't want to race one, then just, you're a wimp and okay. Uh, this is just the thing, right? Racing evolves. These same things were said. Seat belts. What kind of wimps? What? I mean, uh, if you real men and women, real men don't drive race cars with seat belts. When they get into a crash, they get thrown forward and severed in half or thrown a hundred feet and land in a crumpled mess with their legs pointing uh, upwards and backwards and downwards and their arms folded like pretzels and their heads slammed into the pavement. That's what real men do. Okay, I hear you. All right. Uh, run on down the list. Oh, uh, so yeah. helmets? Huh, what? <laughs> what self-respecting man race car driver doesn't want to get hit in the head pelted by rocks and debris and whatnot at 104 miles an hour. Oh, you are the softest humans ever. Oh, and now you're wearing these suits and you've put things on them or made them from a material that prevents fire? You don't want to be on fire? You... I know, right? It's crazy. These drivers don't want to get hit in the head with stuff and die. Crazy. Yeah, but anyways, I guarantee you, every stop of the way, from helmets to seat belts to Nomex, fire suits to name whatever it is, you want a barrier to be safer? Ah, what could be safer than concrete? Every step of the way, there's some sort of you're all weak and you suck and you should just quit. And the people saying this usually are old race car drivers. Oh, I just read some quotes from our, our beloved Mario Andretti today about Lewis Hamilton. Um, it's either old race car drivers who always had it tougher and harder back in the day, who then fail to always fail to recognize that when they drove 50 years ago, the state of technology was the absolute pinnacle of that era. Things weren't old and unsafe and whatever back in 1960. In 1960, whatever was being done at the Indianapolis 500 was for that day the most cutting-edge, tip-of-the-future approach to the sport. And so you move forward 50 years or whatever it is, and all of a sudden... 
that 50 years of progress makes what you did back then, which to you and in the world was truly cutting edge, look like dinosaur times. Well, so it makes it really easy. Oh, back in our day, we had it so much hard. You weren't saying that back in your day. <laughs> okay. You're saying that now. Get it. Totally respect you. But keep in mind that the folks that you're calling weak and soft and all the other stuff today, in 50 years, are going to be you. Oh, arrow screens. What kind of dark age technology was that? I can't believe I ever strapped into a car. An arrow screen? Look at the kids now with the quadruple force field bubbles around them. Ah, I would have dreamed of having that. And they swallow fire suppression pills that the moment that a fire is detected, their body automatically extinguishes it. Ah, run down the list, man. This stuff just gets a little bit old to me. So I'm sorry. A little mid. I don't even know if it's mid. We might be wrapping up here pretty soon. Mrs. Pruitt wants to eat. Um, this stuff just gets a little bit old, friends. You know? The folks who are, oh, back in the day, we were tough and this. Okay. And guess what? The guys raising today are going to be saying the same thing, and it's going to be just as valid when they look back at the barbaric arrow screen that they raced behind that kept them from getting bonked on the head and dying because we've come up with force field bubble spec of course, made by Delara. We know that. Um, it's just, it's just the way it is. So, anyways, sorry for that little rant there. But uh, yeah, I'd hope we would end that argument, whatever their argument there might be, Thomas. Um, yeah, it's funny how the thing where you go, oh yeah, it's whack and lame, and get rid of it and throw it away, or try something else or whatever, and you go, oh, it actually, if we didn't have an arrow screen. I don't know if Renus VK would be alive right now. Uh, if we had something other than the arrow screen, if we had just a halo, I still don't know what kind of shape he would be in because it sure looked like Colton Herta's nose was trying, would have tried to sneak right in, stab right in beneath the upper frame of the halo and the top of the carbon fiber tub. So, again, I hope, Thomas... I hope some folks realize that, yeah, you know, maybe we can just accept this without having to poop all over stuff. Uh, we're going to go to Chasen Akiri, who I don't know if you've written in before. If not, thank you for writing in for the first time. This is watching the Formula One race this weekend. Notice a number of teams and drivers were displaying Forza Alex stickers. Watch any car the past few weekends and didn't see any Zanardi displays by the paddock. Short of the social media posts immediately following the terrible news, I haven't seen much else. Did I miss it on TV? Close is by saying, I'm a kid of the 90s, and maybe it's just a generational thing, but feels like more could be done to honor one of the sport's great champions. Massively agree with you here. Would say that uh, I know I've seen a couple, um, whether it's driver helmet or cars, I've seen a couple Zanardi stickers in IndyCar. Uh, I think you might be onto something about the generational thing, right? I mean, Alex, granted, he did come back in the early 2000s, but by and large, you know, he competed at a time where you know, there's still a lot of people in the paddock who were there. There are a lot of teams who were there, but 
you know, the, the pulling on the heartstrings type deal. I mean, that would have been a fan based thing and a Ganassi based thing of those who were still there in the paddock to do something. So, you know, could there be something bigger overall? Yeah. If there's a long-standing criticism to offer with IndyCar that stands out in comparison to a couple of other series, but there are also a few other series that just don't do a very good job of this. Um, you know, IndyCar's gone through a number of administration changes. It's not a ton of continuity over the last, say, decade, 15 years. Some of the folks that have been there aren't necessarily in uh, big positions of power to call for whatever thing to happen, and it just happens. Uh, Arnie Sreben, for example, one of the bigger hearts, bigger historians, knows everybody, loves everybody. Everybody loves him. If Arnie was put in charge of IndyCar historical curation and modern giving of love, uh... There'd be stickers being passed out all all over the place and all the time. Whether it was this anniversary of someone's win, this anniversary of someone's death, this thing where someone got hurt, this achievement where someone did something for the first time. Um, maybe, I, maybe this is something I su- should suggest uh, with the new owners. That the owners who have huge history... Uh, half the Indy 500 uh, they've been there for. Um, The series has not done a great job of this, and in particular, very specific sense here, things relating to non-IRL stuff. And I know it's called the IndyCar series. It changed to that in 2005. I get all that. But this is the modern evolution of the Indy Racing League. Things that happened in cart, knowing that it was a challenger brand, boy, the honoring those who achieved, who lived, who died, you name it, uh, in cart, outside of the Indy 500, eh, this is a particular weak spot. So, yeah, maybe I just need to suggest that Arnie or pal Steve Shunk who knows, truly knows everything at all times about everything when it comes to history. Um, Boy, it'd be awesome. Because I'll tell you what, you want to talk about heartstrings and connecting with folks. Uh, There's a lot of folks like yourself who I know are, have deep affinity for so many drivers, teams and whatnot from the past. And heck, I mean, you turn on your average baseball, football, basketball, whatever game when those things were happening, oh, some of them are coming back. Uh, boy, you know, there's looking up on the rafters and clips of the 1973 such and such, and this player is the honorary something for the game, and just we're dedicating a jersey or we're retiring their whatever. And, man, we got so much history, but we just, by and large, if it's not the Indy 500, or someone dying and then doing a press release about it. Yeah, we just we don't do a very good job here. Um, so I'd love to see that change because I think it would really resonate with a lot of fans who've been around for a while. Uh, okay, we're going to get to a couple more here. 
starting with Daniel Ingleton. Hey, Daniel. Marshall, how impressed are you by the Aero McLaren SP team so far this season? Sorry, I was trying to swallow something and almost choked. Do you think they can join the big three teams as potential serial winners or championship contenders? Is it Curry? Curry. Just going with it. Current rookie driver lineup strong enough to meet their ambition. I think so. Pato Award is fourth in the standings, Daniel. Holy crap. It's amazing. Uh, And it's not a fluke, right? It's not like the guy's just magically been gifted. Oh, he gets every break under yellow. And I mean, uh, there's been some really good work going on there. I want to throw in another question from Jerry Sudduth that adds to it. It says, is the newfound competitiveness of the spam squad more a result of the new drivers or the, the addition of Craig Hampson to the engineering department? Or is it both? Uh, it says, thank you, and I hope nothing but the best for you and your family. should also throw in here, which I don't know why I didn't with your question, Daniel. I believe, in subject to confirmation, but I believe next week's guests, uh, it's going to be the first time we've actually had a duo. Uh, so I believe... Subject to confirmation next week, it's going to be good old Patricio Award and Oliver ask you. There's even a tease of maybe, maybe uh, a third spam driver. I doubt that one's going to happen. That guy's a little bit busy. Um, but anyways, so I think that's going to happen next week. Um, so it's funny you ask, Jerry. I was uh, communicating with my friend Craig just on the topic of, hey, have you had a chance to really kind of dig in and, and, you know, do the things you're hoping to, to to have an influence? And he wasn't totally sure he had yet. Keep in mind, he also just moved, he and the family. So between COVID, compressed season, no testing since February, and moving house, uh, <laughs> I would say maybe not so much. Uh, he's a great sanity check guy, but I would say let's put a lot of respect on the name of Will Anderson, not Will Phillips, as I wrote in a story about a week or two ago. Uh, Will Phillips, former IndyCar technical director and race engineer guy for a while. Uh, Will Anderson. <laughs> uh, Will Anderson's been doing some great work with good old Pato and the super sneaky, stealthy might struggle to name him in a crowd but blair perschbacher yeah that guy's been just continuing to knock it out of the park with good old olivier askew um he those two have been doing some great work as well so uh craig can only help but yeah let's put some respect on the name of will and blair also have our pal kate gundlach who's there now in a new elevated role from what she was at, uh, where she was at at Ganassi. She's now in a performance engineer role, which is pretty awesome. Instead of being an assistant race engineer, which is tends to be more the data geek type role. Uh, so yeah, so that's good. I mean, there's a lot of talent there was already a lot of talent there, but I'd say provided COVID doesn't keep monkeying with things. Craig can do more of the testing that he wants off track testing. Um, and then also go do track testing, real race track testing as well. Yeah, I think 21 is going to be the place where, coming back to your point, Daniel, I would foresee McLaren Aero SP, SP Aero McLaren, spam, 
being disruptors at time this year in the big three, I would have a I'd have a hard time seeing them be a permanent, you know, make either dislodge one of the big three or make it the big four. That really feels like a next year thing. Uh, let's see one more question here from PS Canadian. Also, maybe your first time sending in. I don't know if I'm wrong, but if not, thank you. Uh, not surprised by the spam success, especially at Iowa. Where Hinch had a win and a third with them. So I feel the addition of Hampson and McLaren Technologies made the kids look more successful than without. I think the kids are good, but I think we're not comparing apples to apples here with the new staffing and money that came in. Uh, also wondering if dampers have been improved with McLaren's F1 technology. Um, I think Hinch would have done better, um, done the same or better with the same advantages, etc. cetera. Uh, a couple other items here. Um, I will... I'll say this. I've not heard about the McLaren side really being able to have a big impact (coughs) on the IndyCar team yet. And that's not because they can't or won't, but just again, COVID lack of testing. You know, there's a lot of off track testing that can be done. The seven post shaker rig, the damper dyno, there's a number of things that can be done, but the, Building a blended engineering team of the previous engineers who've been carried over, Craig Hampson plus the McLaren group, a uh, small group there of engineering that's meant to you know be additive. I have not saying that they have not spoken, not done any of that. Just saying I haven't heard the yeah this big plan we had is really just humming along and and really uh, reaching its potential. I've kind of heard a little bit more of man, I can't wait to get through the challenges so that we can really start to do special things together. So I know that the the heart of the questions here have been Hinch kind of got a raw deal last year. The team's better. And don't you think that if he was there now, the team would be doing as good, if not better? I think Hinch would be right there. Absolutely. I would say that I think that we should not overlook the fact that besides engineers and technology, there was some sort of relationship strain and stress that I I think it took its toll, especially towards the end of last year. And... Had they continued, I don't know if that stress and strain would have eased. So none of what I'm saying is critical of Hinch as a driver. I am saying, though, that when you look at some drivers who have good years and then have bad years and you wonder what happened, it can often be the thing where there's just uh, a little bit of gristle, a little bit of, of... something that just doesn't digest well in the relationship between a driver and the team owner. Maybe there's some sort of adversarial who, and again, I don't want to get into a whole bunch of, of dirty laundry here. You'd be surprised at just being a little bit of feeling like there's being rubbed the wrong way, being spoken to the wrong way, being disrespected. Does the team want me, not want me? 
the way you talk to me, the way you this, the way you that. I'm just throwing in random stuff here. You know, I submit my invoice for travel expenses. You haven't paid it for two months. Not saying that's related to the Aaron McLaren SP team. Just saying these are like things that I know of that are real things where you might think, man, this driver, great team, has the world by the balls. What's wrong? And you go, you'd be really surprised (laughs) whether it's the team stalling on paying for whatever, trying to send a message through kind of slow rolling, getting them back financially, creating tension, hoping that that tension, you know, brings more out of the driver and they rise to the challenge and yada, yada. I mean, it's a lot of stupid stuff. And as I try and read more about the behind the scenes, inner working stuff and stick and ball sports, find out that this is so not unique to racing where you go, oh, so <laughs> the head coach put the struggling, not star player, but their sidekick, the number two one, they moved their locker and put them next to the rookie that everyone thinks is just super annoying. And it's absolutely to send a message. Maybe didn't tell the player what that message was left it up to them to figure out clearly there's something not good and they're trying to tell me something but i don't know what it is and is it them trying to motivate me to do better to get my good locker spot back or is this them telling me i'm on my way out so who knows maybe i should just say f it Uh, i got a uh, pulled hamstring and i can't play this weekend and screw you guys i'm calling my agent looking for a change like you know, this stuff, it's really not uncommon. So in our little world of motor racing and IndyCar, I I do not feel like I am betraying confidences in saying um, the close to the relationship between Hinch and uh, Aero SPM, as it was known last year, um, things went sideways and bad. When the divorce happened, things didn't start to go bad the day the divorce happened. So had that divorce not happened and things just continued on, part of me wonders here if we might have seen the best James Hinchcliffe continuing with that team, knowing that there was something chafing and not necessarily working at all times in the relationship clear the deck bring in two kids who admittedly don't know any better don't know a great team indycar team from a bad indycar team and are just wanting to wag their tails and go a million miles an hour and make everyone happy and never do anything to risk their jobs or speak out or be themselves i mean that's a great way to hit the reset button two kids We're so thankful to have an opportunity that they're just going to fall in line and do what you say. And, you know, they start winning. They become part of the big three. Maybe then you earn your voice and you say, no, no, I'm not going to go do that promotional thing. Uh, Sorry, just not. Uh, Or, no, we're not making that setup change. You're wrong. Like, (laughs) these are the things that you don't hear from pups what you do here from those with uh, time and experience and a voice. Uh, all right. couple more quickly. 
then uh, we got to go. Where do we go next? Uh, Ross Porter asking about Meyershank Racing and Jack Harvey. Impressive pace over Iowa. Um, yeah, they needed that one. I think it was just a good, decent weekend. Jack was never threatening anyone for you know a serious podium, but he was also never seriously threatening being outside the top 10 uh, on raw pace. So, I mean, keep in mind that they have Andretti Technologies as a partner. They have all the quality data, although the Andretti team is off to a bit of a slow start. A promising young engineer in Andy Listis, who so many folks uh, in the paddock are happy to see him getting a real shot. And it seems like he and Jack are, are working. They're clicking. Things are things are good. So, um, yeah, Andy was the one who was meant to work with Pato Award last year at uh, Harding. Harding? I'm, I'm already forgetting what it was called. Um, Harding Steinbrenner Racing. So, yeah. He was, uh, he was tabbed to do some big things last year. Great to see him getting to do it now. Will Flaw 29 asking about pace being off at Andretti. Yes, for sure. I'm going to try and write about this here sometime soon because we've got a couple weeks to fill to the next race. So uh, hopefully you'll see that on Racer here sometime soon. Uh, JJ Gertler, kind of a recurring question. Answer changes every year. Uh, based on this year, what driver who isn't with one of the big three teams would immediately be running at the front if they were in a better car? That's a great question. I wish I had a snappy, easy, quick answer to offer. Who would be running up front in a different car? Well, maybe this is pivoting off of the last question a little bit. And again, no disrespect here, but... Alexander Rossi's third in the second Road America race was great. Being kind of there, but not really there with a sixth and eighth at Iowa. Okay, I know that he had a lot of bad luck uh, the first three races, but there are also, you know, um, some situations where before things went bad, uh, the car might not have been crazy fast. I mean, it seems like if you throw Rossi into Dixon's car or, you know, Pagano or Newgarden's car, you know, the guy's second, first, third, something in the championship right now, I'm confident they're going to get things figured out uh, here soon enough, but I don't know if it's going to be enough to elevate Alexander to the championship fight. After that, I mean, the obvious one would say daily, right? Uh, granted, he just massively overachieved for the smallest team in the field, but you throw Connor in, heck, even... Uh, even uh, not one of the big two, right? A Penske or Ganassi, but you throw him into a Spam Mobile, and I think he's right there with Award. He was fourth, obviously, in the championship. Throw him in a Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan entry. I think he's right there. Graham's sixth. Uh, yeah. So I think Connor's the obvious one, but in terms of just a guy who, boy, just unplug him immediately, and you know he's right there, right up front, top two or three, without question. Rossi's that guy. Uh, Don Gregory, can you give us any insight as to why Robin Miller and Jan Bikas no longer appear in the NBCSN broadcasts? Have they been phased out by the network? That would be a no, Don, on Robin. Uh, hopefully you heard him, I think it was during the Saturday Iowa race, did a really great studio piece voiceover 
that he did on Scott Dixon and AJ Foyt. Uh, I know Robin, uh, like not hashtag me personally, but my wife, uh, Robin still, you know, Robin's medical cha- medical challenges, um, continue. So he's got weekly, you know, doctor appointments, just like my wife and I do for her. So him getting on a plane and traveling, not so much of a thing. Plus, uh, COVID and Robin's 70. Um, it's just, that wouldn't be a smart thing. So they're trying to find ways for him to contribute remotely. As for yawn, uh, yes, he was actually let go and I don't know why. And I'll tell you without a doubt, uh, I'm not always a giant yawn Beekus broadcast fan, but I can tell you that boy, they sure are missing the quality of his contributions. Uh, one thing that frankly, I've been trying to fill in a little bit of what Jan would normally do, uh, on the broadcast, doing it through tweets is give you some insights on strategy and pace and what's going on. Um, there's nobody spotting these things right now. And the things that made Jan unique, uh, uh, his absence have not improved the informational aspect of the races. Well, had to dive off the old podcast last night when Mrs. Pruitt sent me a note saying, idiot, it's time to eat, really hungry, Uh, quit flapping your gums. So we are wrapping this up here, 9.44 a.m. on a Tuesday. Just a couple to go here. Uh, Let's see, we're going to go to Indy Lights quickly. Steve Grinstead and also our pal Matt Anderson inquiring about Roger Penske's thoughts and plans for IndyCar teams to try and use DW12 chassis to populate the class. I know I went into that somewhat in depth last week. Uh, I need to do more digging on this, guys, before I can really answer your questions uh, with any quality. Uh, I just need to talk to more teams because it's one thing for the series IndyCar to have an idea. It's another thing for the teams that would then be responsible or be asked to take part in this, whether they want to. So unless we're talking about Roger Penske is going to spend millions of dollars, hand off extra chassis to teams and engines and just here, kind of like the, uh, the formation of Formula E. Here's a bunch of money and here's franchises and cars and just everything you need. This is a money maker for you. Uh, unless it's that, which would be hard to fathom, uh, I think we're going to have to really get in with the teams to find out where their head is at. Because if they don't see the value in this, uh, I fear this is not going to go the way that anyone wants it to. So uh, give me a little bit to dig in here, and then we will uh, we'll hopefully bring this back up soon. Uh, let's see, Matt Philpot, you are the penultimate asker of questions uh let's go with your uh your item here why does indycar test but not race at Seabird? just kidding um (laughs) yes uh your question with the season more or less at the halfway point on a traditional a to f scale what grade would you give the 2020 season thus far i'd give it a giant a matt 
for the very reasons I've written about, and that is wild unpredictability. <sighs> I mean, here we are, right? It's just been crazy. People that should be at the front are mid-pack or at the back and the points. We've had every mistake known to man on track, on pit lane. We've had strategery victories and failures. Uh, we've had drivers happy, hating one another, all kinds of things. Really and truly, it feels like we've had a full season of insanity, all the highs, lows, and in-betweens in, what, a month and a half? <laughs> I mean, it's, ah, it's crazy, and I think we're going to have a lot more. So, yeah, I'd give it an A, man. Uh if anything, Matt, it can only go downhill. Like if it just gets boring and just mid Ohio happens and Dixon wins, like he always does. And you know, nothing else goes on and Indy's kind of straightforward. And it's a, a big name that wins instead of where the heck did that person come from? Um, yeah, I think it just might be hard to sustain this level. going to close here by, I guess, coincidence. It's funny. I was just talking with one person about this. Christopher D'Amato, also Eric Franklin, writing in about the race for equality and change. Both Chris versus MPA, listen to your catch-up with Roger Penske. What do you think of his response to how the race for equality and change would work? Just adding more to next-gen racers doesn't seem like enough. I also got the sense there's still more to be done, and I wasn't exactly happy with all the meat to the response. I'm happy Roger wants to improve things, but I think there's more needed. What are your thoughts? Then Eric Franklin says, did your conversation with the captain at all change your opinion about the race for equality and change program? So I know one listener took me to task on, uh, what Instagram, uh, about this, that I thanked Roger at the end of the conversation, uh, and wasn't ripping into him. Um, a lot of things here. I don't want to take too long on this because it's such a complex thing that we could talk forever about it. I am super happy that Roger wants to do something and has put some money behind it and instructed his generals and lieutenants, primarily Mark Miles. I mean, admittedly, it's Mark Miles and also Doug Bowles a bit. Uh, but he has tasked those directly beneath him to be the ones to flesh this out and make it happen. In the conversation that I had with Roger, which, again, I could have spent five hours on the phone with him talking about nothing but this, but I was just oversharing, told that we'd have about 15 minutes, and I had seven questions about a variety of things to try and get through. So... This, to my surprise, ended up being the longest response. It was the opening question, but also the longest response to anything. And then when we finished the call, the interview, I should say, uh, he went on for another 10, 15 minutes, by and large, on his own, and we discussed it. Positive things were discussed. It is clearly a very passionate thing for Roger, and that is huge. The motivation behind whatever that man does, provided it's truly something that, that speaks to his heart or 
whatever it is, bottom line, if there's a great business reason to do it or moral reason, if Roger Penske is moved, that is a thing that ends up being huge. So that's the big takeaway that I got from the conversation, Chris and Eric, specifically about Roger. Cool. He is fired up. Therefore, things will happen. Counter to that, in what stood out during that call, was I think Roger is in the familiar mindset we've probably seen before, whether it has to do with drivers of color or women. It's car, 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 representation, representation, representation. We need to get an African-American driver on the grid. We need to get a woman on the grid. We need to, and while I don't disagree with that, that's just a drop in the bucket of what we need to do. The tip of the proverbial iceberg. So yes, we need a to start, but we also need two or three or four or just something that, again, is more representation of the world we live in. And so it's not just meant, in my mind, African-American. It is a lot of dash Americans so that those watching at home, those sitting in the grandstands, hopefully realize that, yes, this is come one, come all. If you have the talent, we want to make sure that you are represented here. And the reasons for why you are not, that's something we need to look into as well and try and address on the funding side, on the opportunity side. It's that area that really stood out, Chris and Eric, and those of you that are still here listening. That's the part that I think was a little bit obvious in the conversation that This isn't the part where Roger would be expected to drill down into and write the white paper. I'd say black paper, but uh, the white paper on this to try and really, here's all the fine points and here's the 27 point plan of how this is going to be done. Like I would not expect Roger to be that guy. So that's why the real meat as you mentioned, Chris, that seemed to be lacking in the conversation with RP, that's a conversation to have with Mark Miles. And another little sidebar, Mark and I have been trying to find a time to have that conversation for two weeks now. Um, Looking back, we were trying to do this, I think, yeah, This was announced, what, I think the Friday, uh, Road America. Um, So my timing is probably way off here. I apologize. Uh, Whenever this was announced, I'm sorry. No, before uh, what, IMS Road Course? I don't know. This has been a crazy month. I apologize. He and I were trying to have a deep dive on this shortly after it. And between him being busy, myself being busy, we just have not connected. So... I'm hoping we can still do that, and I'm hoping there's still a willingness to do that. I think I might have mentioned that uh, it was initially 33 questions. I added one more, so it's out to 34. Had 34 questions come to mind about this program, just trying to understand it, 
get a idea on what they want to do with it, where they want to go with it, who's going to run it, who's going to yada, yada, yada. And so we know that Coach Reed is the person that RP sees should be running it. And again, I, I haven't met the man. I just know that he's highly respected and thought of with ut- the utmost esteem. So again, that might be a perfect person to align with Miles to then really make this thing uh, serious and strong and sustainable. So, but Mark is the person where I need to uh, really drill in deeper here to understand. Now, granted, that's just <laughs> it's my own understanding, which means nothing in the greater scheme, but I'm hoping that from that conversation I might be able to put together an article uh, to explain more. Uh, just before I started recording here, had a phone call from the IndyCar driver I've been working with for, what, I think over a month now on his own uh, Drive for Diversity, Race for Equality and Change type program he's been assembling and I've been helping uh, a little bit in the background with. And there's going to be some news coming from that here. Might even be today. I've already written half the story and I'm waiting for a call back from someone else to help finish it. So there are some things afoot. There are some things moving, but in terms of setting up the bigger, wider, overarching program that's meant to do the six different items listed in the press release, that's the part where I need to speak with Mr. Miles and maybe Coach Reed as well to get uh, deeper insights there on how all this would come to pass. So encouraged to close, encouraged by RP's on the record, in the interview conversation that you heard about his desire to do this, even more encouraged by the, all right, now let's have just the two of us talk about this. And it's really clear that this means something to RP. And so that's what I'm placing my faith in. The big holes in the program, the things that are unanswered, the rushing it out, in not really, you know, th- this is this was the equivalent of a marriage proposal, right? Hey, would you marry me? Sure. What's the rest of our life going to be? What's a wedding going to be like? Where are we going to live? Are we going to have kids? Are we going to, like, let's, you know, uh, I appreciate the big first step, but where's everything else to try and understand where this is going and what it's going to be? We know that wasn't there, that wasn't in it, but with RP's support and I believe a growing number of good people coming together to want to affect change here, I am encouraged, and that's faith being placed in this. That is hashtag me personally. That's personal faith being placed in this, reading just some of the indicators while knowing almost nothing has been done to put this program in a position where it's real and tangible and functioning on multiple levels, the six different levels listed in the press release. So, yeah. Of course, there's always the being cautiously optimistic, but also guarded because, hey, 
This thing could get fumbled and not happen really in any serious way. If we just end up with a black kid or an Asian kid or a Latino kid or a woman of whatever ethnicity on the grid, and that's the big byproduct of this, uh, I think we will have come up very, very short. So faithful, but also trying to uh, see if and what I can do to help the background to make sure this is uh, reaching some of its potential, if they will allow it. So that's what I got for y'all. I want to say thank you, as always, to you for your great questions, to Cooper Tires for their support, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and also Bell Racing Helmets USA. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is our listener Q&A Week in IndyCar show, and I look forward to speaking with y'all next week. <laughs>